0: Did anyone ever get their mouth washed out with soap? Raise your hand. (laughs) Raise them high. If you didn't raise your hand, is it because you were the one that washed out somebody else's mouth with soap? (laughs) Let's have the slide up here. Yeah. In case you don't know what it means to get your mouth washed out with soap, it's when you actually get soap in your mouth. (laughs) Um, Usually... It was because you said something quite offensive, used some language that was unacceptable. Um, And one of the ways that I know young children um, in Christian homes experience this was if they use the Lord's name in vain, meaning they said the long version of OMG. So if you are a victim of this crime, stay tuned. We're going to look at that commandment a little differently, although we might not be totally off the hook. Um, so today we are going to look at the mission we have as Christians, and it's the string that ties all the axioms that we've been talking about. Um, it really ties them all together, and it's the why uh, behind those. So we're going to hit some high points in the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to end, of course, with Jesus in Pentecost. Um, for my note takers, I don't have... Specific bullet points for you this time, but there will be plenty of things that you're going to write down. I'm sorry, (laughs) Um, there will be things that you want to write down. So keep your notebooks out. But before we get to this why, um, we have to start at the beginning. So we're going to talk about human identity. Our culture has wrapped up our identity in titles. So more specifically, with the title that drives our paycheck. So, when we find ourselves in situations, either voluntarily or involuntarily, where we aren't receiving a paycheck by the sweat of our brow, we have an identity crisis. We ask young children at a very young age what they want to do when they grow up. We start conversations what do you do for a living? And while that's not necessarily bad, as Christians, we need to take a step back and evaluate just how tightly woven our identity is to our paycheck because when our company goes under and you're laid off or a car accident leaves you unable to physically labor or you make the decision to stay home with your babies or retirement doesn't feel quite as dreamy as you thought it would be who are we? What do we do now? What's our purpose? So having purpose is actually an incredibly important important aspect of who we are and we get it honestly. Our Creator is a God of purpose. Nothing He makes is without purpose and our desire for purpose is part of our DNA just as is our draw to worship. So whether we acknowledge the living God or not, we are His image bearers. But what does that term actually mean and why does it matter? great question. So let's start in Genesis 1. We'll go through uh, 26 through 28. It says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So for those living in the ancient Near East during this time, the image of a king or God was a physical object that hearkened back to the figure. It was an object fashioned by human hands to make one think of, bring glory to, or worship the God or king that it stood for. When God says, let us make an image, this means something very specific to the people who were hearing these stories. Author Dr. Carmen Imes says this, Yahweh has built the cosmos as the temple in which he resides, in the domain of which he presides. Rather than setting up a statue of himself, he makes men and women. We function as the sign of his rule to the rest of creation. So if you go to the National Mall, you're going to run into some monuments. They are images of someone in history that should be remembered. It might cause awe just because they're so big. It will likely cause you to think of that person. And this is true for us as image bearers, but on a greater scale. Because God created us not just to be statues to elicit him glory. Adam and Eve and all of humanity were designed to be royal partners. We see this in scripture that Adam and Eve, male and female, were commissioned to rule and reign this earth as God's very image on his behalf, which they were incredibly capable of doing, and doing well, until they weren't. Instead of remembering their identity of being like God, being created to function on his behalf with authority, they accept a lie, they let it take root. Satan asks, did God really say... Doubt was planted, and the truth was twisted. In Genesis 3-5, the serpent says, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. But aren't they already like God? Satan says, No, the way you're like him is not enough. This is the same rebellious thought that removed Satan from his place in glory. He had status, he had beauty, he had access to God, but it wasn't enough for him. So Eve ate, and Adam ate, believing God was withholding something better and their status, our status as image bearers, as royal partners is marred. We would, of course, continue to bear his image. He didn't wipe out humanity but we couldn't bear his image as he intended. Instead of glory and honor to the Father, instead of bringing goodness and order to the world, our bend is selfish, our bend is evil. We still can make and do incredibly wonderful things, but we can also create and do horrific things. God desired to partner with humans to bring order and beauty to chaos. He desired for humans to live and work on his behalf, but now he must enact a plan to restore his most beloved creation, his human image. His plan? Satan will be destroyed. Humanity will be restored through the offspring of Eve. So in God's great grace, Adam and Eve are exiled with hope rather than die on the spot, but things continue to go south quickly. Adam and Eve's own son commits murder, Civilizations grow. They're steeped in violence and pride and destruction. The redemption plan that was to come through the pure offspring of humanity has become defiled, and the Lord was grieved. We see this in Genesis 6, when God enacts the flood, but plucks out one family. He found one still pure in bloodline and faith, Noah, and provided refuge for his family from the destruction. He placed them in an ark as water cleansed the earth, hitting the reset button on creation. But as soon as they arrive back on land, things go south. And then we fast forward again. We're going to be fast forwarding a lot. But we're going to fast forward to the Tower of Babel, where once again humans show their commitment to pride and evil and rebellion Their sin infiltrated hearts are unchanged and instead of spreading out to rule and reign like they were called to do as images of God, they gather in one place to make a name for themselves. Knowing this would result in unimaginable evil and destruction of his creation, God scatters them into separate nations with separate languages. Unity is a gift of God and they cannot be trusted with this gift. Each insubordinate people group under the rule of the kingdom of darkness is where God's rescue plan can officially begin because God needs representatives. These rebellious nations do not know Yahweh. They do not follow Yahweh. They are lost and enslaved, destined to eternal death. But because of God's great love for his people, he will not just brush them off. He wants them all to see him, to know him, and to one day be restored to his presence. And so we come to Abraham, a 75-year-old man, childless, in Mesopotamia, who hears from Yahweh himself. God says, go, leave this post-Babel world and go to the place I will show you. He promises Abraham this in Genesis 12. Then I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will exemplify divine blessing. I will bless those who bless you, but the one who treats you lightly I must curse. So that all the families of the earth may receive blessing through you. God desires a nation of his own. He desires a people that will represent him, demonstrate who he is, be set apart from the other nations to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood. To what end? To bless the nations. So we march forward with Abraham, who is to be the father of many nations, yet he is old with no children. This is very significant because God did not choose a man with a huge family already established. God supernaturally began his new nation, his new family, through an infertile couple. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed the promise. In his faith, time and time again, even when he tried to take things into his own hands, His faith shone through. God did not need perfection. He needed faithful obedience. God had promised more children than stars in the sky, and now Isaac has been born, so let the counting begin. Abraham and Sarah's covenant promised son became the great nation of Israel. But now, another big jump years later, This great nation finds themselves enslaved under the rule of Egypt's pharaoh. A ruler of pride and selfishness and evil. A ruler dedicated to false gods. And remember, false does not mean fake. We've talked about this with the kids multiple times. False and fake are not the same. These are real entities of the kingdom of darkness that are over all the other nations of the world. So God has a showdown to free his chosen people, to prove that he is the one true God and remove his people from slavery and into their inheritance. And he does it. We know the story. Let my people go. The Pharaoh finally releases them. lot happens in that. Can't go into it today. So we're going to skip forward. The Israelites are now encamped out in the desert out, out at Mount Sinai. And that's where we're really going to start honing in on this question of what's our purpose? Who are we? Moses is on the mountain ready to receive instructions from the Lord. Exodus 19 three through 8. Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain. Thus you will tell the house of Jacob and declare to the people of Israel you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I lifted you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And now, if you will diligently listen to me and keep my covenant, then you will be my special possession out of all the nations, for all the earth is mine, and you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you will speak to the Israelites. So Moses came and summoned the elders of Israel. He set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together, all that the Lord has commanded we will do. So Moses brought the words of the people back to the Lord. So often when we hear this section of scripture, the 10 commandments, the laws, we might find them boring. We might just skim, we might skip, We know we're under a new covenant through Jesus, so sometimes we check out. And while it is true we are under a new covenant, we don't have to follow the laws. We can read them to understand the underlying principles, to help us understand God's character and his heart for his people. But we also tend to skip and skim because we don't fully understand how the Israelites are approaching the manor the matter. So let's look at that. The nation of Israel was under a tyrant, horrific leader in awful oppression and slavery, and God delivered them. Not only that, he has made himself known to them. He's cared for them. He's proved his loyal love and commitment to them. These Israelites know the promises made to their forefathers and they just had the ultimate jailbreak. These laws they are about to receive are not burdensome. They're freedom, and they are wholeheartedly on board. They have seen his wonders. They have seen his power. They've experienced his kindness and his grace toward them. So, of course, their response is, yeah, we're in. We'll do whatever you say. Scripture says, "Moses relays this message back to God. They're in, let's do this." So in Exodus 20:2 through6, God spoke all these words: "I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you from the land of Egypt from the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath." or that is in the water below. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, responding to the transgression of fathers by dealing with children to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, and showing covenant faithfulness to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. He says, I am Yahweh your God. Don't make an image. I already did that. It's you. It's humans. So don't make anything else to represent me. Don't bow down to anything else. Don't give anything else your worship. I am your God now, and you are mine. They're making a treaty, and they are very willing participants. God says, I brought you out of Egypt, I brought you out of slavery. This is what you're going to do in return, but there's still more I'm promising you. None of it is burdensome. It is not one-sided. So Yahweh goes on to the next command, and this is our very big but very subtle light bulb for the day. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold guiltless anyone who takes his name in vain. This is why you might have gotten soap in the mouth. (laughs) But let's check this out. So, the word here translated as take, sometimes misuse, it often makes us think of a verbal matter. But actually, the Hebrew word there is nasa, and this is the same word used throughout Scripture as bear. You shall not bear the name of the Lord your God in vain. We don't really say bear anymore. Another way is carry. Interestingly enough, when the priest Aaron is dressed up to enter into the tabernacle, where the presence of God is, he bears the name of Yahweh right on his forehead. His outfit is intricate. Absolutely nothing is random or without thought. And in particular, he has a turban with a gold medallion tied with blue cords. And what does the medallion say? The name of Yahweh. It reads as two words in Hebrew, but to us it says, holy, belonging to Yahweh. He is carrying the name of the Lord. Can you imagine if we had that tattooed on our head? How different... Would we live and move and speak? So the command is do not carry the Lord's name in vain. Okay, well, what does vain mean with emptiness or falsely? God says do not represent me in a worthless, false, untrue manner. Do not follow any other God. I already proved that I am the great I am. And so these people are to be set apart to be God's holy nation, a royal priesthood, to represent him well, with accuracy and truth. Why? To bless the nations and to one day bring restoration. The job of Yahweh's people is to represent him, to carry his name, to show people what he is like, to live under his rule, one marked with grace and love and faithfulness, to be his treasured possession, his prized possession, to ultimately fulfill his plan to redeem the world, to redeem humanity. This is not the command to watch your mouth, young man. It's honor me with your life so they can watch me and know me and come back to me. This is a huge responsibility, but it is one that the Israelites accepted willingly. We're going to drive home this point that they were willing participants in this. And I'm going to read you something that is incredibly interesting, and a little sobering from this time period. We know other gods, other kings were most definitely being served, but I'm going to paint you a picture of the stark contrast between Yahweh and the lesser gods. This is a prayer found in Babylonian literature. It's going to be up on the screen, so Read along with me. Don't read out loud. <laughs> That'd be a lot. <laughs> so this prayer says this: May the wrath of the heart of my God be pacified. May the God who is unknown to me be pacified pacified. May the goddess who is unknown to me be pacified. May the known and unknown God Be pacified. May the known and unknown goddess be pacified. The sin which I have committed, I know not. The misdeed which I have committed, I know not. A gracious name may my God announce. A gracious name may my goddess announce. A gracious name may my known and unknown god announce. A gracious name may my known and unknown goddess announce. Unto my merciful God I turn I make supplication supplication I kiss the feet of my goddess and crawl before her how long my god how long my goddess until thy face be turned toward me how long known and unknown god until the anger of thy heart be pacified how long known and unknown goddess until thy unfriendly heart be pacified My God, my sins are seven times seven. Forgive my sins. My goddess, my sins are seven times seven. Forgive my sins. Known and unknown God, my sins are seven times seven. Forgive my sins. It was not uncommon for the gods to be unknown. Their names, their likes, their dislikes, what they considered sin, what made them move or not, They were not consistent. They were not loyal or dependable to those who were living under their rule. So for the Israelites to have a God who fully revealed himself to them and was faithful to them and loyal and loving and kind and spelled out exactly what he did and did not want, that was freedom. No one feels safe under a leader who changes the rules at a whim with no notice. No one feels love and loyalty to a leader who is aloof and distant and unresponsive. The Israelites had just received freedom and to secure that freedom, they were given more freedom in the form of boundaries. What a relief. When we build our new building and put the playgrounds in, We're not going to slap those playgrounds right on the side of 68 with no fence or protection. No one is going to fight leadership because their kids don't have enough freedom when they establish safety measures. No, we want them to slap that thing in the middle of the property, clean up the poison ivy, add some fences, rules against firearms and drugs and broken glass, and let's have a good time. Freedom is not without boundaries. And the God of the universe created boundaries for their protection, for their health, for the proper treatment of each other, to know what keeps them holy so they can continue to access his presence. But it is not just about them. He did it to set them apart to help them live and act in a way that showed the world who the one true God is, to be a blessing to the nations, to be representatives of a God who makes himself known. Representing God is the purpose of his people. He leaves no question. Faithful obedience will let others see that these people belong to Yahweh just by watching them. Though they were on board, Israel failed time and time and time again. They wanted to be like the other nations. Instead of following the king of kings, they wanted a human one just like everyone else. They chose other gods with horrific practices. They continued to poorly and even falsely represent God They continued to give in to sin that ruled their hearts and minds. Because while the law could reveal God's perfect standard, the law and the sacrificial system could do nothing to help humans keep that standard. They continued to need one who would redeem them. Huge, giant jump so we can now enter the Messiah born of supernatural conception, Jesus was God in the flesh. Hebrews 1.3 says, The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Jesus was successful in every area God's people before him had failed. He perfectly fulfilled the roles of prophet, priest, and king. He fulfilled the laws and upheld the covenant, perfectly demonstrating God's character. He withstood sins of pride and power and idolatry and all temptation. The problem prior was sinful people relying on other sinful people whose ministries were only temporary. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, and he is the perfect eternal priest. Jesus and the Holy Spirit provide perpetual access to the presence of God that enables continued faithful obedience in life. Rather than mediate between Yahweh and the people like Moses, Jesus ushers us in to God's presence. He allows us to carry not just his name, but his very presence, his very spirit. But while Jesus was on the earth, he took it one step further. As the perfect image and representative Filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, he exemplified the kingdom of God in ways the Israelites could not. His very life here on earth showed that God was not just in the business of boundaries and rules, he was here to restore what was damaged, reverse death, redeem the lost. Jesus healed, he delivered, he served. It wasn't just in how he lived that was significant. It was his advancement of the kingdom of God by reversing the kingdom of darkness, bringing order to chaos. He proved not just that he was set apart, but that he was also Lord over all. I think what's interesting is that we often view Jesus' life as the pinnacle. And everything after his ascension is kind of a big letdown. We would never say that specifically. No one's going to say that to you. But, But it's the way we live and pray that shows it. Like we're just buying time until his return. Which is what the Jews did when they were waiting for the Messiah to come in the first place. But he did come. And he didn't say, Okay, guys, this is just a preview. It's going to get good. Keep on waiting. He renewed our mission as God's representatives and took it a step further at Pentecost. It's, it's no longer follow these laws to show people what I'm like and keep yourselves from the Lord, the world. Now he says... Here is my very spirit for yourselves, so go. Go into all the world. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I am with you always. But what did he command? He said, preach the good news, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead. Yes, be set apart. Yes, prove yourselves as one of God's kingdom in all ways. But also, be intentional to reverse what's clearly of the enemy's camp. But how do we know this is for us? We're going to connect some dots. As image bearers, We are to bear the likeness of God, to rule and reign and bring order to this world on his behalf. And because we are doing this in a fallen world now, we must represent him not just by being set apart, but by walking in step with the spirit that has been poured out on us. And I don't think it's a stretch at all to look out into the world at the state of things and want to undo the workings of the enemy, which includes every disease, illness, suffering, oppression. Matthew nine thirty-five through 38. It says, Then Jesus went out throughout all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were bewildered and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers out into his harvest-ready fields." Out of compassion for the people he created, he's telling the workers he's gathered to pray for more workers. And there's not an expiration date there. Why? Because he loves all those people. And he knows those people standing in front of him, it's only the beginning. He knows the original covenant included blessing the nations. Caleb just said this last week, God desires all people. And at Pentecost, we see this point solidified when languages once again become one. Unity is restored, and God's representatives are sent out. Our culture is very self-centered and individualistic, and this is very unique to our Western culture. It's not the mindset of most other nations in our current world. And it was definitely not the mindset of the original readers, people of this time in Jesus' day. Yes, solitude is important for growth. But it is not the goal or intention. Yes, he saves us. Yes, he pursues us. Yes, he loves us and speaks to us and dwells in us. Yes, we must get in the secret place and be in his presence. But all of that is not for us. Getting in his presence and then going about our individual lives is not the goal. Our salvation is not for our benefit. We are to show the world what Jesus is like. We are to represent the kingdom of God as a holy nation so that the world will know. Our concern must be God's reputation and others' salvation. Every single believer who has proclaimed Jesus as king accepts this mission in mindset and lifestyle. We know that the Lord has been prepping this house. And during our prayer service a few weeks ago, I had this image. And at the beginning of the image, the people were walking toward the throne of God. They were walking and worshiping. They were getting into his presence. But then it flipped. Then people began walking away still worshiping, they weren't leaving him, they weren't abandoning him, they were now going out into the world. We have focused on being people of the word. We've focused on being people of the spirit. We've learned how to be people of one another. But it's time now for us to be people of the kingdom and people of the world. It just occurred to me this morning that my last message was on unity so that the world would believe. A believing world is the point. Hebrews talks about moving on from elementary teachings, and I think it's time we have to move on, because any move of God we experience here or anywhere is not just for our benefit. It's not just so we can say, oh, man, that was really cool. You remember that? Or look what we did. It's not about us. Dr. Iams, who I mentioned earlier, said this. Believers who are lavishly loved by their heavenly Father have been given work to do, not so they can earn God's favor, but so they can bring him glory among the nations. The Spirit's presence in our life is proof that we belong. This call and these commands, it's not just for staff or leadership at a church. It's not just for people that we perceive have more time or more gifts. It has nothing to do with titles. It has nothing to do with education. Those things fade and those things change, whether by choice or not. This call to represent applies regardless, and it applies to every single believer because the great commission is to go and make disciples and that's it <laughs> as we go through our lives we make disciples and we don't have to make that complicated you don't have to preach a sermon to their face every single time you might tend to seed. You might water a seed, you might plant a seed, you might harvest a seed, or your your job with that person might just to be might just be to encourage them in the walk that's already been established. But there will always be something to do as we go. First Peter two, nine through ten in the message paraphrase says this, but you are the ones chosen by God chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. You, we, accepted this high calling upon our acceptance of Jesus, just like the israelites in total agreement of the law we say yes it's not a burden and it's it's not something that's keeping us from something better because once we were nothing and now we are something we were dead and now we live we were rejected And now we are accepted. We have been shown mercy. Plucked out of the kingdom of darkness. And placed into the kingdom of God. Charles Spurgeon says, man was not created to be idle. He was not elected to be idle. He was not redeemed to be idle. He was not quickened to be idle. And he is not sanctified by God's grace to be idle Colossians three seventeen, and whatever you do or say do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to the God to God the Father because that is our vocation no matter what our job is Because we have chosen Yahweh, because he first chose us. And he made a way for us to be his forever through the willing death and glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end of it all, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Our vocation to represent him and partner with him, to advance the kingdom, during our small vapor of time on this earth isn't tedious it's not a burden it's an honor to represent the god of the universe it's an honor to tell others what he's like because he chose us when we deserved nothing he saved us while we were still sinning and rebelling and mocking And if it's not an honor to work for him. It's because we either have a very low view of the magnitude of our own sin. And what we have been saved from. Or because we have a very high view of the world. In either case, we must remember the alternative to our salvation. I tell the kids, when thinking of hell, because that's a very abstract thought, just think of the good things in your life, and all of those are the opposites. Because scripture says all good things are gifts from God. So the enemy's camp is everything opposite. No family, no community, total isolation, no light, no love, no comfort. Sin separates us from God. God. He's too pure. He's too holy. Our sin in the presence of God is like us in the direct presence of the sun, like the sunshine. Five feet from the actual sun, toast. We're done. (laughs) But instead of God allowing us to die in his presence because of our unholiness, Jesus took our place in that death. He gave us grace to cover over the sin that would separate us from his self, his goodness, his life for all eternity. And that alone is enough. If nothing else ever happened in your life, that alone is enough to make you want to work every single moment of your life for him. But he has done so much more. And that should hit us like a ball between the eyes. It should stir within us a desire to radically live for him, to represent him. And an urgency to share him with the nations. The nations that are under the reign and rule of the one who is opposite of Yahweh. And these people aren't just across the ocean. We say nation and we think other side of the world. These people are across the street. They're across the gym, they're across the break room. They're in your own home. So maybe we all need a good mouth washing. (laughs) But not just for what we've said. Maybe for how we've portrayed Jesus. And I've shied away too, because I didn't know how to not make it weird. (laughs) Weird. Or I was more worried about someone's potential thoughts. Or the someone else will do it. But if God has opened your eyes to a need or to a lost person, then he wants you to do something about it. Maybe it is just praying diligently. But likely it's to do something physically. And we're called to die to ourselves. It's going to be uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, This week, the kids, tomorrow, um, the older kids are going to be writing down the names of people who need Jesus or people they just know aren't going to church or need a church. They're going to be making invitations You guys are getting two different lessons from me, but the punchline is the same. We have a job. And I know those kids are going to be bold, and they are going to pass out those, <laughs> those invitations. <Yeah>. They will. <laughs> are we going to be bold? Are we going to have that childlike faith? We tell them this is important. We're showing them this is important. Are we going to prove that we think it's important for other people too? Who needs healing? Text them, meet up with them, pray with them, lay hands on them. Who needs encouragement? Take them, send them a card, take them a gift, take them a meal. Who needs the house blessing prayer? People got stories. <laughs> yeah, clean up. Who needs to see you acting set apart? Who needs you to say, hey, I've not been honoring so-and-so when we've talked recently, and that's me problem. Please forgive me for speaking poorly of that person. Or maybe it's, hey, I'm not actually going to go out to lunch this week. I'm going to try to use this time to read my Bible I've committed to do that every day hey do you wanna do it with me you have something in your head I know you do so let's represent him let's do something about it you can do it right now I don't care if you pull out your phone And if there's something that the Lord has been asking you to do and you've been putting it off, maybe a mission that isn't just in your backyard, here's your confirmation. (laughs) And before I wrap up, let me say this. We are not under the law. We do not have to perform. We do not have to earn salvation. We are saved by the grace of God Through our faith in Christ Jesus and his work on the cross. In Galatians 3 2 through 9, Paul says this. I don't think I have this on a slide. He says, Let me ask you this one question Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit. Because you believe the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you once again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. The real children of Abraham, then, are those who put their faith in God. What's more, the scriptures looked forward to this time, when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham Long ago when he said, all the nations will be blessed through you. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. I am not saying we have to follow the law. But I am saying that we can't use our freedom and our salvation to do whatever we want. We still have a mission, one we've been grafted into because of the work of Jesus Christ. We were the lost nations. Our mission is to go into our states, our towns, our break rooms, our living rooms. Our mission is to make him known. And I know so many of you are doing that. We were just talking before service of so many examples of you guys representing. Of you guys taking it a step further and praying for people and seeing them radically experience the Lord Return to him. Be healed. People are planning to go to other nations. Melissa Boyce has like, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. I'm going to. (laughs) She's going places (laughs) this summer. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) Don't tell Amber things. but she's not the only one. (laughs) I don't want to seem like I'm harping on you guys. (laughs) Because we've been through a lot, but the Lord has made it good and he still has a plan for us but not just our body, as individuals. And there are people in your path who need the Lord. And it's not a burden. It's not something you have to feel like you dread. Because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And he's the one that does the work. We just have to show that faithful obedience. And I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to leave you with a blessing from the book of Hebrews. And then after we pray, you're free to go. Our ministry team will be up here if you need more prayer. Or if there's just something big and you need some encouragement. But he is, he is good. And what he asks of us is not too much. Because we are here for only a short time. And then there's forever. And we will either be in his presence with the people that we've encountered or not. And it's not all up to us. But I think sometimes that mindset (laughs) can leave us frozen, inactive, and not being the light of the world. And so this is just a challenge for all of us. The world needs to know. God, we thank you for grafting us in. We thank you, God, for Jesus. For our perfect priest and representative. We thank you that we are allowed in your presence. We thank you that you have made yourself known. We thank you that you keep your promises, <laughs> that you didn't give up with Adam and Eve. You sent them out in grace, in coverings for their shame. Thank you, God, for allowing your spirit to dwell within us. And Lord, I pray that you would ignite the urgency by pouring out a love for your people. The scripture said Jesus looked out and had compassion. And Aaron said a few weeks ago that compassion is move, being moved to do something. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would fill us with that compassion, that our eyes would be open, that we wouldn't be hurried around our days, busy, focusing on our to-do list and our schedule, but that we would raise our heads, that we would look out into these people who are like sheep without a shepherd. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. And God, I thank you for these people here because I know that they are representing you. But God, I know there's always those few people in our lives that we hold back. And so God, I just ask that you would break that barrier, that you would give us courage that you would give us opportunity at the very next opportunity and that we would see it and recognize it and that we would be faithful in our obedience. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your patience and your kindness and your goodness. You are forever Yahweh, and you are ours, and we are yours, and we thank you. Now may the God of peace. Who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen.